Welcome to the first episode of Gravel Travel. I'm JJ LaRue. Being based out of South Africa, it was an easy enough choice to find people to interview. In this case, a couple of local riders on a fascinating journey. Enjoy. Righty, so um, we are chatting to Michnes and Elsebi Olivier. I'm going to ask you to go straight into it and just tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Michnes. Um, we live in uh, East London, uh, South Africa. For We well, used to. For <laughs> now we live now on the road. Now we live on the road. <laughs> um, we've been uh, traveling for the last nine years, first on off and now based to like semi-permanent uh, basis and we're currently in lockdown in a very strict Sucre in Bolivia they don't allow us to go out so uh, we're sitting and, and working and trying to keep ourselves busy playing the fool, playing the fool. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Elsevi and yes as Mechnes has mentioned we uh I don't know, serial travellers, if you can call it that. Um, I, I try to convince my mom that uh, it's actually a lifestyle now because she keeps asking me when are we stopping. <laughs> so I see she hasn't asked you when are you getting a real job though. So at least <laughs> <laughs> I think I think she she got tired of uh, of asking that now. <laughs> I think it's quite ad- admirable ad- m- 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 when you get to a stage in your life when you where you don't you you can take job out of your description you know when you want to tell people what you do you don't have to put job in there no we, we yeah, like, it's, yeah. like to say it's a lifestyle of the unemployed <laughs> self self yeah. unemployed self unemployed yeah and i think also we we try to convince ourselves our job is actually just a hobby because mentally it makes it it makes you look at it differently <laughs> okay <laughs> good okay that's one that's one way of doing it <laughs> I want to start with where you are right now and what's happening to you. So we started riding from Paraguay to Bolivia and we were sort of on the Laguna's route when uh, the whole world started going a little bit crazy. Uh, we ended up in Uyuni, which is close to the beautiful uh, Salt Salar, the biggest uh, salt uh, um, flat in the world. And we, we spent about a week and a half there, and a friend of us uh, in Sucre, uh, which is the capital city of Bolivia, phoned and said, you guys must come around and come stay with us. And we were like, things are changing a bit. Yes, we, we're coming to Sucre, and then we can see what is happening. Um, so our friend here is a German world traveler. Uh, he's been living in Sucre now for about three or four years. And, yeah, kind enough opened their door for us. As we arrived, things started getting quite uh, serious very quickly. Uh, Borders closed, uh, the airports closed, and within a couple of days, we couldn't even travel over a regional border to get to uh, the main airport if we wanted to fly back to South Africa. So we we sort of decided to just sit it out quietly here in Bolivia. At this stage, I mean, you were quite well, you were well aware of what what's going on, right? I mean, the the virus is was encroaching. We were in Brazil end of last year when this whole thing started to creep up, and we were on the on our verge to go into Paraguay, then uh, into into Bolivia. So we knew we sort of kept trying to keep track of that every day to to know what is going on because we also had to make a plan. I mean, if if this thing escalates quickly, where we're we going to sit in Paraguay? Should we might go back to Uruguay or Brazil or Argentina. 
because the only real place to ship out of was is uh, is um, Buenos Aires. So we kept on on um, keeping trying to keep updated, and then it sort of looked like China's got it under control. And by that time, we were in Paraguay. And then we thought, okay, well, let's let's try and get it into Bolivia because if we get into Bolivia, that's where we're heading in any case, and that, that's our place. So let's head to Bolivia and see what. They need. And if you really need to, you always need to try and get to a big city. That's that's your main main thing is get to a big city. By the time we got into Bolivia. We, we realized that there's things, things are not, it might turn up very bad, very quick. And we got into uni um, because we did a thousand kilometers off-road in, in, in Lagunas where there was no, we were five days, six days out of um, um, no communication. No communication yeah. So we were unplugged. And by the time we got into uni, there was a four-day delay and then um, Frank got all of us. I mean, we've never met him. We, we spoke on, on, and he said, Don't, you know, we would love to host us for a few days and so on. Well, it's now five weeks. He's, he's still hosting us. <laughs> but, nice but, friend. Nice friend, yeah. <laughs> now but, we but, family. But we, our plan was actually to start to ride around the liver because it's, there is other things. So the, the solar is wet. I'm not going to take the two bikes on the solar because after that, we can just as well send them home. They, they're going to be buggered. So we didn't want to do that. We wanted to ride a little bit more. And then the thing started really to get serious. We thought, well, there's no other choice. We need to get to, to Frank and if he can help us in a hotel or whatever, we, we can manage and stuff. And when we rode into Sucre that day, they, the, the local authorities started to close the, 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 schools, the schools and the stuff. And in, within four days after that, it just boof. And then we try and get information from the South African government, which was absolutely non-existent. And not to help us to get back home, because what's the reason to go back home? We're sitting with two bikes. We can't just ship them out of it. It's impossible. So, But just to try and get information on what do they know more than what we know, you know, and, and, and stuff. And it was absolutely non-existent. So... Yeah, we first just, of all, there's no embassy here in Bolivia, so we have to work through the embassy in Lima. And, uh, of course, that's where the first challenge started. Uh, it took them about a week to just answer the first email. And, of course, the guy just came back and said, oh, no, you've got the wrong contact number. I can't help you. Not even giving us another number. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> but that's it. So, so, I mean, at this stage, you, you've made it. The decision was made, right? You're not... Coming, I'm, I'm referring to the fact that you are coming home. On yeah, with that, yeah, that decision we already made um, because we've got – and that, but that's also a difficult uh, thing. You know, if it's, if it's um, closed for – till September, we can't sit here till September. Um, I mean, well, we can. We, we, we're supposed to have to, but it all everything changes. So, so suddenly they close the borders, so you can't, uh, we can't drive back to – we can't drive back to Buenos Aires to ship the bikes from there. Then – the, the air, airline started to close down. So everything happened so fast that yeah. there was no, even if we wanted to, really wanted to, there was no chance of going So back. our biggest challenge is not really visas for ourselves. For Bolivia, South Africans, you need yes. to apply for a visa before you enter, which we did do. Um, we, we were fortunate enough that when we were in Uyuni, the hotel where we <clears throat> stayed, uh, the people were very friendly to us, and they said, let's help you, and then you apply for a work visa. So we managed to get a three-month work visa for ourselves. So in essence, even now, the government has given a letter out that says, if you're a tourist in Bolivia, no problem. We understand your visas will extend it after the crisis is over. But our problem is the motorcycles. So um, Bolivia is one of the strictest uh, countries as far as foreign vehicles is concerned. When you enter, you get 90 days for your vehicle, and and thereafter, you need to get the vehicle out or they can impound it. 
So our biggest then, problem. Did you just take it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so our biggest problem was up to now to just get some authority to say, don't worry, your motorcycles will be okay. Uh, that's why Mechnes referred to Uruguay. Uruguay, when you enter, give you a year visa for your mo- for your vehicle as you enter. So that would have been preferable for us. But uh, as we said, as we got into Bolivia, I think a good thing, they reacted really, really quickly. First, they closed schools and universities. Then they closed their regional borders and uh, the airports. And then they went into full uh, lockdown. And we've been in lockdown, official lockdown, for about three weeks already. No official, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> we, we ourselves has been, has been for four weeks. But then also the, the other little problem is that um, locals here perceived any foreigners as a <laughs> virus, virus carrier. So nobody has been nasty to us. People have been really great to us, even, even locals when we go. Because we've got a, a nice um, street next to us where there's uh, stuff to buy. They've, they've all been – but the, the, our local host have, have advised us not to, not to even try and go out. But they, know, if you think South Africa is strict, yeah, we can buy alcohol, but yeah. here's the trick. You've got, as per your passport number or your ID card, the ending of the number, you've only got from 8 o'clock to 12 o'clock one week. One day a week to go shopping. Wow. Okay. So you have yeah, to. So it's a bit of a. It's a bit of a planning. Yeah. There's a lot of. There's quite a bit of planning involved. You know. Um, <laughs> just to get a time. Yeah. I mean, I, I must say. But they haven't. They haven't lost in mind that South Africans that we can't buy booze or cigarettes. Yeah. At least we could buy alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a big problem in South Africa at the moment. You know, I, I, I don't know. You obviously have enough contact with the outside world. You know, with with family mm-hmm. and friends to know what that situation is like. I mean, I can understand exactly why they're doing it. Um, yes. completely. Um, you know, people don't want to. You know, you shouldn't spend. You should spend the the little money that you have on the on the right things, and not on cigarettes and alcohol. Essential you know, things. so. Yeah, I, I just. I just don't like it. Yeah. I just don't like it that they yeah. that they make decisions for us. Yeah, know, they they regulate think, it a little bit yeah, too much. I think, I, yeah, yeah. South Africans are, are big enough to vote. They, yeah. They're big enough to make that kind of decision. Let's backtrack a little bit. I want to know where, how did this all come about. How, how did when in your life do you make a decision? that you're going to jump on a motorcycle or you want to use motorcycle as a, as a form of transport. And what, what did you say? Ten years later, you, you're still at it? You're still traveling? Yeah. Almost, yeah. Man, let, let me go way, way back. When we started both corporate jobs, we studied UNISA, studied our asses off and, and did all the brutal stuff. And then, but, but right through, we never had kids and we, we sort of made a decision – a constant issue with my kids because it, it, not it's that there's anything wrong. It's just yeah, it's a different lifestyle, and we had Elsby's family is, is is rich in in kids, and we just decided <laughs> that you know maybe it's maybe we can do it without. Likely put. Yeah, I I have this tendency to to um, yeah, not not. We good with dogs. <laughs> so um, and then uh, you know as you grow as you go and you work your stuff, we just figured it. Man, this thing about working for 30 years, then retire, then die, that ain't going to work for us. That That's just, I don't know. This, we have to do something. And then we decided to maybe don't buy the iPhones, don't buy all the luxury stuff. And, don't and, go on big holidays. Don't go on big holidays. Let's try and save as much as possible and see what we can do with that. And with a bit of luck, we, we bought a bit of assets and, and they started to, to, to do well for us. And then in in '94 uh, we did a four by four trip into Namibia for a month, and, and we didn't have money, we didn't have time, but we sort of angled it to do that month, and 
the bug bit us bad. And we really like that kind of stuff. The only difference on the 4x4 thing is Elsby was sitting there boop shaping board that I'm driving, I'm having the fun, and she's just shaking around doing the, you know. So, um, and we always, we always are biking, <laughs> we're always in the biking thing, but bikes were expensive. I mean, back yes, in those, yes, back yeah. in uh, the, the 90s, the, the 20s, the, the, the bikes was actually quite expensive if you were just a normal salary and, you know, yeah, the R80. Yeah. R.I.T. sounded cheap, but they weren't that, yeah. you know, according to what your income. So we left the, the, the motorcycle thing because it was just bloody expensive. But also, I didn't grow up with motorcycles, really. So um, for me, it was uh, unknown. So we gradually went from 4x4s to quads, which was a beautiful pain in the butt. Uh, I complained <laughs> so hard every time Story I wanted for another to go day, for right? a ride. And I, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then… By luck, well, I call it by luck, uh, some uh, friend of the family decided to take me on a quick uh, a pillion ride uh, to introduce me to motorcycles, and I absolutely hated it. And I said to Mechnes, no, 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 no. If we're going to try the motorcycle thing, I need to try it on my own. And I think once I hopped on and, and uh, realized the fun and the freedom, yeah, that was it. The choice of mode was decided. Yeah. So I mean, but it was, but, if you said yeah. the choice of mode was decided, that at that stage in your life you didn't pull in with it was just I'm going to ride my own bike. No, we ne- no, Correct. We, I, I don't think we've pulled in for. No, only if we. Than, no, yeah, no, yeah. only to go to town but, quickly yeah. if we or to go and buy spares for a motorcycle. <laughs> but luckily, also that time the the, the whole. The, the, the movement grew a little bit more about the adventure biking thing. Yes. So my brother-in-law, Eric, he, he actually was, was one of the first with, with Leon Lombard and those guys that really got into the into the thing. And yes. it was a really different kind of, I mean, modern, adventure motorcycles in South Africa, man, they made for each other. You know, so the whole thing started to grow a little bit. And, and the KLR at, in 2004 was about 50,000 bucks or something. It was a little bit more affordable. South Africa wasn't doing that bad economically. So I think the whole thing started to, to, to grow from there. And it, it just, it got, it got nicer and nicer. And I mean, we always love the 4 by 4 thing. We still, I mean, when, when, the, when the knees go, we'll still we'll end up to, back a four, to a 4 by 4 and, and keep on going. But the we might need to was, add two steering wheels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, biking just, uh, the, the biking thing was just it's like nice. A remote. It's like a remote. <laughs> remote. <laughs> yeah, you might need two. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, well, yeah. The, the only thing was that at, at some stage we had a little bit more freedom to, to go on our first six months through Africa, and that was a death knell. That, that was yeah. the, the, the nail in the coffin. And just when we got back to home the first time, it was like, this we need to do more because this, this, you need to experience life a little bit. You cannot work your entire life, retire, and die four years later. That's not, that's not just not, not on fast. So it just grew from there. So when I met my wife, my girlfriend then, um, I phoned her one day and I said, look, I'm in Cape Town. I'll pay for your ticket. Why don't you come down and um, ride back from Cape Town to Joburg on a motorcycle? And she's like, what? I've never been on a bike in my life before. So – that's, that was the morning, the Friday, the, the Friday afternoon I picked her up from the airport. The next day we drove 1200 Ks on a BMW 1200 adventure. Fantastic. Oh, well. She absolutely fell in love with it. We did various trips together, but I changed motorcycle. So we'll just leave it there. I changed the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I, I went home. I, I fancied this idea of owning a KTM 690. What I didn't take into consideration was the fact that you can't pillion on a 690. There is no. just no space. No. 
There's a little, no, the there's a little pipe. There's a little breather pipe that comes out the fuel tap, uh, the, the 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 filler cap. And uh, she said to me, "This thing just kept on, you know, going where it's not supposed to do." You know. <laughs> <laughs> Next day she went to work. Next day she went to work, and the the riding buddy said, "Well, what are you complaining about? Why don't you get your own bike?" Four weeks later, I'm not joking. She had a learner's, and she bought her own motorcycle. Well done. Yeah, that's well the way done. to do it. A, yes. DR, a DRZ 400, which was great. Yeah. Nice. And not too long that's after that, we went to Namibia on a trip. And this is, this is where I want to know from you. I was worried sick all the time. I, we got to Ochivirongo, I think about three and a half weeks later, on our way to Otavi, because we were about to cross um, along the Caprivi Strip. And um, go through Zambia into Malawi. And I stopped next to the road and I said to her, you know what? I'm really, really sorry. I'm not enjoying this. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm so busy looking out for you all the time that I'm, I keep forgetting to look out for things next to the yeah. road. I keep, I keep forgetting to enjoy myself. I don't know how you feel. And she said to me, I'm sorry. I didn't want to say to you, but I'm really, really nervous. So I said, okay, I'm going to make a call now. We're going back home. We're driving straight from here to Vintuk to Ketmantuip. And two nights later, we were in Ketmantuip and she started crying and she said, I feel so bad for you. I feel so bad that I have to end this trip here because of my inability to ride properly. Now, I'm going to leave that there, but I want to know from you, Michnes, don't you feel responsible? You know, how did you handle that and how do you handle that now? In the beginning, it was, yes, I, I know exactly, and I, I know what you're feeling. In the beginning, it was like that because women, if they, there's two things that happen. If a woman falls off hard enough, she will never get on a bike again. And the other thing is that you, you do feel responsible, and you do yeah. feel that, oh, flip, and else, this, you know, she's, she's bitten the dust, and Elsby's done it quite a few times. You know, how bad is it, and, and all this kind of thing. So in the beginning, the, the first year at least, it was like that. But I can tell you this, we went for a lot of training, and, and even to this day, if we can do refresher course, we do that because you, you get to play a little bit. But that was the only thing that got me less less feeling that, man, she can go. She, she, I know she can handle herself. And she, when, when we get into real bad situations, she'll, she'll either back off completely and we'll make another plan. Or, but she'll, she'll handle herself. And over time, that, that got better, way better. But like now, I, I don't mind. I know exactly where we can go, where we can't go. I know when we really need to stop and push a bike through rather than, than try and, and ride a thing. So in the beginning, it was like that, 100%. I mean, it, my, my friend Vickers, he got nausea from his wife riding in front of him. He couldn't handle that stuff. It took them a long time to get over that fear that she might get off so badly that, that, she, that she's hurt for, a, for, you know, like really bad. So it took him a long time to get over. But, but the one thing that, that really helped for us was training, 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 training all the time. Go to country tracks, go to that stuff. I mean, we spent a lot of money with them um, doing that. And, I'm, and, and it paid off. I mean, it's the best. It's like an airplane pilot. I mean, you, you just, it, it pays off to do this kind of thing. So the better they get at it, the, um, you know, um, the nicer or the, or the better the riding the more enjoyable it is for you yeah, yeah. the more enjoyable yeah so we still do a lot of technical stuff but we know we know sort of where to go and where to rather you know take it calm we don't just wander through a thing and, and we know at, at an Aussie couple that was on Ollie's for a long time they got onto bikes no training 
she ended the trip in the Shire pelvis, the whole thing. Broken. You know, just, Elfie, yeah. don't get me wrong. It's not that I'm saying women can't ride. It's just that because as no, no. It's, it's that natural position that you – disposition you know you you feel responsible and you you want to make sure that your your buddy your wife is fine well if they're not fine you're going home the trip is over so it's imperative that they that they're fine even if you do a day trip or you do a week trip you you, they they need to be fine and the more they read the here's the other thing we've got a friend that only rides once a month Forget it. Get off the bike. You can sell the bike. You're not going to ever learn anything, and you forget what what, what you've learned. So, we, riding every day, even if it's just around the block, just to keep that the thing going. So, all the all our friends that the women the women that we know now and that we've met in the Overlanders are people that that does it constantly, yeah. often. They they you know so they're getting more comfortable. They know how to do an emergency yeah. stop and all this kind of stuff. I think when friends of us say, "Listen, my wife wants to ride. Do you have any advice?" That's the first thing we say is, one, you must remember most ladies don't get exposed to motorcycles from school. You know, where you guys in high school already have 50s and you go around and you go to farms and you're on scramblers. Uh, we we don't necessarily get that exposure un- unless you grow up on a farm. Um, so the first thing we say is, remember, the skill is not there for them. You need to go for training. You need to... Um, especially for me, it was important in the beginning, not only the training, but to just go for a ride on my own, go to a parking lot and practice and practice and use my bike to go to work every day, um, to get comfortable with it, to sort of understand the bike a little bit better. Because I think a lot of ladies still, you know, think I want to ride motorcycle, but they don't make it a lifestyle. So over a weekend, if there's time, they will maybe take the bike out for a quick coffee shop ride or something. That's, that is the worst thing you can do. It's not enough. You you need to get training and it, it comes back that it's not only for the good of you, but also for your riding partner. I mean, I experienced what Mechner's experienced. I mean, I see him have a, a serious accident in front of me. It's not, you're always going to have that fear. Even if we're in uh, some situations, just as he worry about me, I worry about him as well. That that won't go away. But at least if you keep yourself in training, uh, both of you, you sort of have more confidence and you sort of feel a little bit better. And then also Mechner's helped me a lot by just pushing me a little bit every time we in unusual circumstances, just showing me that override your fear, you know, just have a little bit more confidence. So yes, it's it's not an easy path. It's hard work for both, <laughs> but the joys you get is remarkable. It obviously get, gets a hell of a lot easier and it should be quite, I almost want to use the word natural after what, 10 years now? Yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, now, yeah. now we have no... We know what we do. We We're know very we comfortable uh, with yeah. the bikes and, and the two of us. And the other thing is that, and I'm really generalizing, and we see this a lot, the guy rides a bike, he wants his wife to ride. She likes it, they go, they go for one course, they, they walk into BMW, they say, I want a bike, what do you think BMW says? Buy 850GS. He falls himself into pieces the first weekend. You know, starting a little bit slower, starting on smaller bikes. You can always sell the bike and buy a new one. You can keep the damn thing. You know, just grow into the thing. And I think it's it's a problem that a lot of couples don't grow in it. Or the, or the wife doesn't grow into, into the thing. She rides maybe for two or three weekends and decide, you know. I mean, we had friends that, that they don't want to ride together because they, they say, well, what if both of us get killed? 
well, I don't know. I mean, what if what if both of you and our families in the car and you get killed? I mean, it's it's that that fear is, and it's because of training. We've got such good training academies in South Africa, but people go once and you never see them again. One thing is for certain: Nicholas and Elsa B will be back. Why don't you join us again for another episode of Gravel Travel when we continue this journey with them to find out what was the tipping point.